Hi there, skating fans. Welcome to another edition of the Skate Canada Alumni Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Skate Canada Alumni Podcast. I'm Alex Kilby, Skate Canada's Technology Projects Manager. With the holidays fast approaching, this month's alumni blog features one of skating's greatest gifts, a visit with the irrepressible Joyce Heisey. At 88 years young, Joyce is truly a mover and shaker. She started her career in skating as a national dance medalist in the early 50s, then went on to officiate at national, international and world championships, sit on the ISU Dance Technical Committee, become a member of the ISU Council, and honoured as an inductee in the Skate Canada and World Figure Skating Halls of Fame. Joyce was a chairperson for figure skating at the Calgary 88 Games, and since then, among other historic accomplishments, still managed to dedicate her time to team-leading some of Canada's finest skaters. Today's visit with Joyce is led by fellow Hall of Famer Anne Shaw, herself a celebrated athlete and former ISU official. Join Anne and Joyce as they revisit the trials and joys of leading Canada's teams during the decades of developmental events in Saint-Gervais and Obertsdorf from the mid-70s to 2000. Apparently, Joyce ran a pretty tight ship and expertly managed the logistics of keeping a young team away for two weeks, helping to initiate people new to the international scene, and dealing with as many four different currencies all at once. Let me introduce you to Joyce Heisey with a glimpse into few of her wonderful adventures. I'm Ann Shaw, um, and I sit on the Skate Canada Alumni Committee, and I'm very happy to be talking with Joyce Heisey today. She, uh, of course, is a Skate Canada and World Hall of Fame member and a former council member for the ISU. Um, she's been a, an illustrious team leader, technical delegate, referee, judge, you name it. And uh, she's been able to do. Uh, I know many of you alumni uh, have been on teams with Joyce going to St. Gervais and Oberstdorf through the years. So I thought today we would just have some fun exploring some of Joyce's memories of those trips because Joyce, was the team leader for most of them. I guess all of them, Joyce. How many years did you go on those trips? Well, I tried to add it up, and it looks like about 23 years over a period of time. And uh, I think almost at the end of my days, I think that that trip Saint-Gervais-Oberstdorf came to an end uh, with the arrival of uh, Junior Grand Prix events and things of that nature, and then the Neville Hearn horn uh, event turned into, I think, another kind of event. So uh, they were 20-some lovely years. No, they were usually at the end of the summer in August, I think, Joyce. And uh, maybe tell people a little bit about the two locales. Well, it was a very interesting excursion, and I'll tell you a little bit about, before we get to the towns, um, it was a time that... uh, Everybody experienced often their very, very first international experience, be it a skater, a coach, or a judge. It was a period that lasted for two weeks. 
unlike any other trip. Even the Olympics are a little different, although you go as a Canadian team. This little team actually was a Canadian figure skating team or Skate Canada team, as the name changed. And we became a team. And um, that was very important. It, it sort of melded us together over the many years. And I think that that's why it was special in the uh, minds of a lot of the skaters who remember the fun we had, maybe some of the disappointments, the pluses, the minuses, whatever. But it was a team-building experience for all of us. And I think that's why it was so special. Uh, Saint-Gervais was the first spot. The surprise of not just skaters, Joyce. No. The, the, the team was made up of skaters, coaches, officials, and um, it was uh, a team. And we met together in Toronto. We didn't come from separate places to a point. We gathered in Toronto, um, and we returned to Toronto and then returned to our uh, home bases, if you like. And so it was really um, a learning experience for everyone, getting to know one another. And um, it, uh, because of the length of the time, we had a chance to do that. So we would arrive in Toronto, and um, unbeknownst to everybody, we'd maybe know one or two of the people, but that was it. And then we would travel together to Geneva. And from Geneva, we were put on a bus, taken up to this little French village that was way, way up in the mountains, very precarious two-lane roads, uh, to a place called Saint-Gervais, which was a very ancient village up in the French mountains, very close to Mont Blanc. And uh, there we settled into an inn called La Maison Blanche. And uh, that was home base for all of the Canadian teams that ever went to Saint-Gervais. And I think even a couple of years ago, uh, a few of our Canadians stayed there again at a, an official function. But anyway, uh, it was like living together. We had our own table in the dining room. We ate our meals together. We uh, gathered at the end of the day together. And um, I think that that's probably where... Uh, it all began to make us a family. And uh, some, well, our next jaunt was, of course, off to Germany. And uh, that went in several ways, which I'll explain later. But I'd like to go back to 1974 when I began. And at that time, uh, the first place we visited was the Nebelhorn. It was the first event. And um, uh, the judge with me was Dorothy McLeod, who was absolutely, uh, oh, she said, T all those teenagers for two weeks, Joyce, I just don't know how you'll handle it. Anyway, it was, it was an experience, and it was fabulous. We arrived in this lovely village in the valley between these fabulous mountains. And um, at that this time, the, Germany, the team in Germany, and uh, then uh, uh, the team competed. I will have to say that as an illustrious ice dancer, attending all the figure events and all the free skating events, I thought if I was going to keep my sanity, I would copy marks. So from 1974 to 2000, whenever it was appropriate, I copied marks. Um, figure events ran forever, but it had a big side that was a plus. I met everybody. 
they would come up to me and say, uh, could you give me those marks again? Uh, how long have I got before I have to skate again? And I got to know and understand many people, many coaches and skaters. So that's how we began. We then got on a bus and were taken to Saint-Gervais where there was no ice dance event. However, they very kindly invited um, uh, Susan Carscallon and uh, Rick Gillies to skate an exhibition. So at least they were not left out. The following year, and that was the way we began, and the following year, uh, the events reversed uh, and always remained that way, from Saint-Gervais always then to the Nebelhorn in uh, Germany. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of the beginning of it all. The... uh, the coaches uh, were very much part of the team. We had so many uh, Kerry Leach pairs in those days. He was the eternal bus driver of the whatever, either in Saint-Gervais or in Oberstdorf. Uh, on occasion, I did drive myself, and uh, one year the judges, uh, in their wisdom, gave me a gift, which was a little uh, corn husk doll kneeling at a prie saying her prayers. I'm not too sure whether this was because they needed help while I was driving or whatever, but we did have some fun times. Um, the the uh, transportation situation was always a bit much. The distance between the two uh, villages, eight or nine hours up and down mountains, lasted forever. Uh, Peter Crick came to me sort of midstream and said, Joyce, how would you like to tackle a train ride between Geneva and Oberstdorf. And I said, sure, we'll try it for you and see what happens. So with the help of Charlene Wong, who could speak French, uh, we went down the mountain to the, where the train station was, and they hand-wrote all of our train tickets. They must have been a yard long each. However, we made it into Geneva and uh, did take the train into Oberstdorf, and from then on, it was official. And of course, as the forerunners of the train, we were very organized. Uh, we would get on the bus in Saint-Gervais in the morning, the bus to Geneva, uh, complete with our shopping bags of uh, wine, cheese, crackers, cookies, soft drinks, whatever. Uh, the, we would get the children all organized with their luggage so that we could throw it on the train and uh, get organized. Uh, people envied us, I have to say. We uh, really enjoyed our times together, and it was a long train ride, about as long as the bus, but certainly much easier. And we were treated to beautiful scenery, a lovely luncheon on the train, as well as our little goodies, and um, it was a special time. Any other questions? I well questions? remember going to that one of those train stations in Switzerland to get my tickets, and it, I nearly missed my train. It took so long to have well, those no, no, no automation, no nothing, and it was really, uh, but it was an experience and uh, really fun for everybody. Um, going back to the Saint-Gervais bit, I think that's where, as I say, we, we became a team. Um, I had a few rules, didn't always... Uh, 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 Pick the team captain myself, but sometimes I would let them choose their captain after we were together two or three days. And um, but I will tell you that at one point I was told that uh, well I was really going to have problems with um, uh, David Pelche 
he was on the team. Well, I decided, really, I don't think so. So I made him the team leader as we boarded the train in, uh, or uh, the plane in Toronto. And he was a delight. Not a problem. Knew exactly what he was going to do as captain. So uh, there were great memories. Uh, a lot of the people that are even on your staff in Ottawa, um, Andre Bourgeois, Michael Slipchuk, uh, Jeff Partrick, they could probably add more. They'd, they'd give you their side of my story, I would think. But um, there were many on the teams that we saw again at Worlds and Olymp- <clears throat> excuse me, Worlds and Olympics. Uh, many people we didn't see again. Uh, many changed partners. Uh, I, it was a very um, interesting uh, mix. Very often, sometimes um, a coach would cut, or at least a skater would come without the coaches, with a coach, and then someone would fill in for them. Um, again, this was another way of getting people to be familiar with each other and uh, kind of become and work together. Uh, my other kind of rule was that a big pardon. How many would be on a normal team? Already? Well, anywhere from, um, I, 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 I really, and it varied. I sometimes have three men, three women, three pairs, and three dancers, and then I could go down to two of each or one of one, and always in excess of 10 or 12, plus wow. the coaches that, and whatever judges. And, of course, the judges, uh, if that was all in the period of uh, the exam times in Oberstdorf. So as the mass score of the group, I um, went to many masses and lit many candles for our Canadian candidates for the ISU exams. I, I think if you talk to Sally and Elizabeth Clark and, and a few others, they, they would give you their thoughts on the subject. It's a little nerve-wracking to be judging the event and to also be trying the exam, but um, however, they weathered the storm. And when I, I began, I, I also judged... <clears throat> And was the team leader, so it, we all wore several hats. <clears throat> Sorry, Anne. now Joyce, I think in those days you wouldn't have had to write a dance exam. It was the singles, pairs people who had to write. It was those just the exams. singles and pairs, yeah, and, and um, I know how terrified they yeah. all were. Well, they were, and uh, so on. But you know, it was a it it the the weather was lovely. The 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 venues were. Uh, the two arenas initially were open air. You were either freezing or hot. Um, I, in the early days, figure events in Saint-Gervais, I remember little Priscilla Hill from the USA. She, the fog was so bad you couldn't even see her going around her figure. Needless to say, the event was put off until a later time in the day. But eventually the rinks were modernized and closed in and... Um, much more comfortable. I, I judged um, in, in Oberstdorf with the snow blowing in the back, at, you know, because those fall times, sometimes the rain became snow. So and you're we in, had a little Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so on. But the, uh, along the way, it, um, the one village, in, the French village was very ancient. Um, the uh, Oberstdorf village was very pastoral. It was flowers and cows. It had a totally different feeling. It was um, very, uh, it was lovely to walk around. And we did do a lot of walking. I, although, as I say, I did drive a van um, 
funny with the U.S. one day, I got a call from Peter Crick, and he said, Joyce, I wonder if you would mind um, uh, trading cars with the U.S., and I thought, well, that's rather strange, and then the light came on. I said, ha-ha, I guess the gentleman can't drive a shift car, which is exactly (laughs) the problem, so that was a little bit of a laugh, because I certainly uh, had to tease him a bit, but... um, we stayed in several interesting places I, in, in Germany. Uh, one of the hotels called the Wittelsbacher Hof was really a very old, um, rather uh, reserved, conservative uh, place. And uh, to have the advent of 20-plus people, uh, if you included the coaches and the judges and so on, who arrived home at midnight while everybody else was in bed by nine so they could go hiking the next day. I often wondered why they ever put us there, but however, we weathered the storm and uh, it, it was a lovely spot, which will lead me to another story from there. We lived through rollerblading days in, during this period, and one day I looked up uh, in the lobby of this lovely hotel to see the Canadian boy rollerblading through the lobby and out the door. And I thought to myself, oh, another rule. Please put your rollerblades on outside the hotel. So <laughs> anyway, we also gave the two boys at La Maison Blanche rollerblades, and of course they l- l- rollerbladed up and down the mountains. Also giving you a absolute... Cats, I guess, worrying about them, probably. Absolutely. I thought to myself afterwards, what a gift. But one day I was at the the inn, and down the hill, on rollerblades, came Michelle Lee. (laughs) And I met her at the door, and I said, that is the last you will be rollerblading. Oh, because she was slightly in the family way. And I said, that is a danger. I will not have it on my team. And her sister was with her, and she's clapping behind her back. <laughs> so anyway, we've had some funny times with things like that. Um, I, I the, think you told me about one special time uh, in one hotel with a certain blanket arrangement on the beds. Absolutely. The, uh, again, in this very conservative hotel in Germany, uh, the beds were twin beds pushed together with one uh, uh, spread, and uh, uh, Bernie Ford was heard to be saying to Carrie Leach, uh, I hope you'll respect me in the morning. So we all had a good laugh at that when they pulled the spread back and found it was two beds. But uh, anyway, it was a, a very interesting uh, sort of way for the young skaters to get to learn a little bit about competing. They had a chance to do one event followed by another, which leads me to a Kurt Browning story who won an event in in, uh, Saint-Gervais and then was going to, of course, get a gold in Oberstdorf. And he couldn't do that. He had trouble even with a three-jump that day. So, you know, teenagers are wonderful. They're on one day and not so great the next. Um, It was also a period of time for the young people coming out of Quebec who um, spoke only French, and um, oftentimes... They'd thrive they, in Saint-Gervais, I guess. They would be fine, but, they, but with the team, they had two-thirds of their team only spoke English. And mm-hmm. I would try to explain that English was the 
um, language of the ISU and that results would be in English and the, it would be announced, the marks would be announced and so on. And one little French girl at the end of the time when she said goodbye to me in Toronto said, Mrs. Heisey, I learn English, which I thought was great. I hope she did. I can't remember even what her name was, but she learned that to converse in the dressing room with another skater from another country, you spoke English. You didn't yeah. speak French. Oh, experience that. I so think. it was. Um, uh, it was a. Uh, um, I would say for an experience that probably not many skaters in the country would have nowadays. And now, Joyce, the, you haven't mentioned parents. Did parents go on those trips in those days? Well. Uh, we had kind of a rule that uh, parents didn't accompany the team. And the U.S. team used to look at us with envy because they had everybody and their uncle, babies in strollers, mothers, aunts, fathers, whatever, and they traveled with the team. If a parent came uh, or joined us, they would be totally independent, although I would always include them in any um, kind of function that we had, a team dinner, uh, if there was a trip that was appropriate or something of that sort. But they were, they stayed in a different hotel, they didn't travel with us, they were totally independent. Um, it, it, it's very hard for skaters to have a parent around and a team leader and a coach. They don't know who to look to. And um, in my opinion, it was never appropriate to have them. This was their time to learn, and um, to have all that confusion didn't add to anything. Um, it was the U.S., as I say, always used to say, oh, if we could just do that, it would be so much easier. We also um, didn't encourage, um, uh, what should I say, uh, the skaters to keep phoning home. I all, they, I, they were not, permit, or not forbidden to do so, but again, that constant link back and back to home base, they would lose a little bit of what they were trying to achieve in Saint-Gervais or Oberstdorf. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it was perhaps a different way of looking at it. I, um, and, and, of course, as an ice dancer, and at the end of each trip, I was writing my reports on on the skaters, and I often wonder if I read some of them now, um, what, I, what I said about them, but I, I would look at them from a different perspective, not their skating skills, but maybe how they would, um, you know, what they could do to better themselves. I remember one young boy, I, I said to his coach, you're not letting him be a teenager, because every time he missed something, it, he was so colossally dumped on that it, it um, was a very negative experience for him. I said to the coach, you, you have to let them learn, and you have to understand what they're doing themselves. So, you know, um, I, I tried a to growing, help. A learning experience for everybody then. Really Absolutely. Because they were pretty, sometimes pretty green coaches, Joyce. Well, they were very green. Uh, some of them were, it was their first time out, and I... I, I would think even Manon will remember she came from a Quebec and um, she spoke a little English, um, but she will tell you her first few days were a little Jose Picard the same, so they all were learning too, and um, 
they were not all buddies, the coaches, but they they we became a we we, we became sort of a unit. And I always, for both places, um, I said, you are uh, one of the rules of the game is that you come and support your fellow team members whenever they're competing, as long as it fits into your schedule. Like if you were competing the next day, you wouldn't go. They didn't necessarily have to stay for the whole event, but everybody came to support their team members. And then it really was like a mini world team or a mini Olympic team, wasn't it, Joyce? In that well, sense. it was to an extent, except that you, uh, you never it, having done both. You're, you, it, um, it was a more what should I say relaxed. It wasn't a high level. They didn't feel. I, I never thought that they that they felt the pressure of um, that you have on the on the more senior teams, and yeah. um, you know it was a different kind of thing. The um, didn't have the press with you breathing down your back or no, anything like. That. No. Not at all. And they were res- very respective of each other. And as they say, they were great. I mean, the coaches came. Everybody fought. I won't say it was a rule, but. They they really understood we're supporting each other, and as they say, I I didn't care if they stayed for the whole event, but had to be there to be there for your friend, and yeah. um, so now it, you had it, educational components, I guess, on those trips too, didn't you? Sort of outside things that you did with your team. We always we always did if we could work it into the schedule uh, with one van, um, carry. I never took the trip to drove to Mejev, but Carrie would try to uh, take the, the skaters into Mejev, which was not too far from Saint Gervais, for a day in another village, um, and then he would take the adults in, and um, we would have our day in the village. Uh, we did go to uh, Chamonix, the adults, some days. It was kind of hard to work it into the schedule. Very often on an off day or an off afternoon, the skaters could take themselves up the mountain to the top of Mont Blanc. They could take the um, Cog Railroad and go to the top. And um, they uh, were allowed to, obviously, did some sightseeing. Uh, the village was uh, had a uh, boasted of a wonderful dessert and chocolate shop that they soon found, and um, we all enjoyed that. The um, we did in in uh, the Nebelhorn or in Oberstdorf. We didn't trip around there. There was so much um, to do and walking, and um, the village itself was interesting. That and also, as I said, in in Saint Gervais, we ate our meals together. We were a unit in Oberstdorf. I gave them, had to give them their per diems. They were on their own, other than breakfast, where we met usually, not always, depending on the schedule. They were on their own to find their lunch and dinner. And um, so in that respect, they had a little more freedom to do as they uh, they wished. Uh, Again, the... um, uh, we always, and the rule was, or the, not the rule, but the uh, end of each day or the end of each event, uh, those who had competed, their coaches, the judges, any of the team that might be um, available would go to have a late supper at a pizza place in Saint-Gervais or the Swiss chalet of um, Oberstdorf, which was called the Wienerwald, 
and uh, we would have our late evening meal there and, uh, as I say, gather again as a group, coaches, skaters, and judges, um, and uh, enjoy the evening and then home to bed. So tell, was, uh, tell our listeners, Joyce, about the, the, the cows uh, and the activities with the cattle in, in Oberstorf. Well, one of, this, one of the highlights, of course, so unlike Canada or anything we would know, at, uh, I think, early in the morning. Certainly, I was never up to say goodbye to them. But at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, with their little herdsman, with his, with his stock, the cows would come back from the mountains to their own little individual barns, which were attached to the little village houses. And as they came down the main street, two cows would go one way, one would go the other, they all knew exactly where they lived, and that was a great experience. Everybody, all tourists, would hit the main road and um, to see the cows come home. And uh, I remember one time standing in front of a very um, high-end woman's store in yes. Oberstdorf and uh, <clears throat> finding um, a, a deposit from one of the cows in front of a, a Dior dress that was in the window. I always thought that was an interesting juxtaposition of... <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, it was a life... where you were walking, right? <laughs> oh, always. But the, the um, uh, you know, the, the beautiful, with all the, the fertilizer available, the flowers of Overstore were fabulous. And, um, as I say, everywhere you went, they were... Uh, and, and interestingly enough, one of the ones that they encouraged and had everywhere was goldenrod, which of course is a noxious weed in Canada, but they grew it in every garden you could see. So um, beautiful window boxes. Absolutely, but uh, you know we had some fun people on the team, and you must remember that it, in spanning that many years, we saw the beginnings of many people. Uh, Brian Boitano, Soraya Bonali, um, you know, and, and of our own people who surfaced later, uh, Tracy, uh, or at least the, Tracy and Rob, the Garasino, Shaylin and Victor, um, uh, Brian Pokar, Kurt Browning, you know, it, there were just some wonderful uh, uh, examples of watching somebody start and then seeing them uh, at a medal and a medal position at a world or an Olympic championship, the pairs Lynn and <laughs> Johnson was there with several partners, um, yes. you know. And Carrie's group was always great. I always thought, oh, good, they at least know how to use their knife and fork, because sometimes, you know, um, we had to do a little um, educating, shall we say, and. Uh, there were lots of things. Um, I, I look back on Richard Gauthier, the loudest skater I think I ever took anywhere. He supported every skater. Uh, that uh, You could hear him across the country of France, I think. But we always laugh. Get Richard. We need him now. Uh, uh, Canadian's going to skate. And uh, whatever. He was also renowned for the chicken dance, which he sort of taught many Germans in one of the local bistros and uh, along the way. Um, it was just a, a very, uh, what should I say, um, wonderful experience for everyone, I think. And I know that a lot of the troops would say, what was your favorite trip? They'd always say, Saint-Gervais-Oberstdorf. So I don't know what else 
Any other things I could think of? Did you ever lose anyone um, or uh, have any? Did I ever lose anyone? Well, I I did once, but I'll I'll start it off with a funny story first. One morning in Saint-Gervais, this very nice-looking young man appeared at the door and, and asked if he could speak to Joyce Heisey, and I went, and there stood Charlie Sear. I didn't know Charlie at that time. He was the U.S. team leader. And he said, I'm Charlie Sear, the U.S. team leader, and I've lost a skater. And everybody told me to come and find you because you knew everything about team leading and what should I do. And I said, well, when you find him, I suspect he spent the night somewhere after a party. I would send him home. And uh, so he said, good idea. And uh, fortunately, the skater's mother was also on the trip. She was his coach. And, um, and the only funny thing about that was it was Labor Day weekend, and he couldn't buy any tickets to send them home. But he took them to Oberstdorf and wouldn't allow the young man to skate. My loss was, again, a, par- a parental issue. The parents of, a, of one of the skaters were in the village, just came along, and um, he, uh, I had a few rules. You couldn't go to a party on the last night, but your bags must be packed except for your carry-on because you have no time in the morning and things of that nature. And uh, he rather resented that I was saying things of that sort. Nobody else seemed to care. And he went and spent the night with his mother and dad. And when he came back the next morning, then there was obviously more to be said. The, I, I, in, in stopping him from skating would have also been sad for his partner. And, um, but it was a different issue in that case, as was Charlie's was just a one person. But that's why I say parents could interfere with the, local, with the general running of a team if, if there was that kind of allegiance you know, turned up or something. Back on her. Um, Joyce, did you, I think I remember you telling me a story about someone losing his passport, and it meant that you had to stay on <clears throat> Well, <clears throat> it was a return journey. <clears throat> it was always by bus from uh, Oberstdorf to Munich, and then we flew home from several places to sev- uh, either Heathrow or wherever, Frankfurt or whatever. Anyway, we arrived in Munich and we were overnighting. And um, I met in the lobby and there was Dennis Coy. And he said, Den- uh, Mrs. Heisey, I've lost my passport. And I said, oh, well, we'll get a cab. So we got a cab and we went back to the bus depot, plowed through the bus, couldn't find anything at all. And then, of course, return to the hotel, and I'm thinking, oh, Canadian embassy, uh, you know, emergency papers, blah, blah, blah. And he finally looked at me and he said, I certainly wish you'd blow your stack because your silence is just killing me. (laughs) I said, Dennis, you learned more from my silence. Anyway, when we got back to the hotel, there was Charlene Wong holding the passport that he'd forgotten he'd given her. But we had some other funny things happen along the way, travel-wise. One time, we had some kind of a new travel agent in in the CFSA, it was then, office, and she waitlisted us 
uh, uh, on a t- t- on a plane to Geneva, and I said, "We can't be waitlisted. We have to have a secure ticket." Well, it's all I can do, and I said, "Leave it with me." Well, finally, I dealt with our our local friend Aunt, and oh, I yeah. said, "Oh yes," and I said, "Can you get us there?" He, of course, he could. But uh, it, we went by way of Brussels. So that particular team had the benefit of a beautiful luncheon in the lovely flower square in, in uh, the center of Brussels. And then we, from there we got to Geneva. But another trip, and I always remember Luke Braday was on this one, and Sally Rehorek. We flew from uh, Munich to London and got on the plane to Canada, flew an hour, and the pilot came on and said, I am dumping the fuel, and we are going back to Heathrow. So we went back to Heathrow, and they kept us on the plane, and we sat another couple of hours, and we took off again. By this time, it's fairly late. We flew this time about two hours, and the pilot came back on and said, I'm dumping the fuel. We're going back to Heathrow. So by this time, we're all really rather ratty, and we arrived back in London, and, of course, they have to billet all of us in for the overnight and then put us on another plane. So we get us all, they get us organized, and Sally Rehorik and I are standing looking at this tiny elevator. Now, I am slightly claustrophobic, and I walk rather than ride an elevator. And Sally looked at me, and she said, I'm claustrophobic. I can't get in the elevator. I said, let's walk, because I don't want to get in it either. The next day, we are back at Heathrow, get on a plane, and Luke said, if my name is under the, the uh, little shelf, you know, the, the little table thing, I'm, not going to, I'm getting off the plane, Mrs. Heisey. And I think everybody of our team had written their name so that if they were put back on the same plane, they were going to get off. Fortunately, it was a different plane. But I always remember Luke. I'm not getting on that plane. That's the same one, you know. So oh. it was quite. It was quite a, quite a, a, a little bit of a nerve-wracking end to a, a couple of Great weeks. Trip. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, the sightseeing we did. Uh, sometimes we would overnight in Geneva, either coming or going, depending on what whichever way we were rooted home. Um, I always had the rule that you don't nap as soon as you get to wherever we're going. But one day I made a terrible mistake. I booked us on a, a lake cruise on, on Geneva so we could stay awake. We couldn't have been on the boat five minutes and we were all asleep. <laughs> um, we used to sightsee in the Marienplatz in, in Munich, um, the Ross Skeller restaurant. Um, I took them there, um, also to the Hofbrauhaus. And uh, so they saw a little bit of, of uh, history. The, um, the, the trips in, um, as they say, in and out of, of um, the Nebelhorn were not so necessary because there were so many sites that could be accessed from the village. The closing party was always up the Nebelhorn. And um, had to go they, up the vernacular, uh, I guess. Uh, yes, they would go up the, the uh, whatever. No, gondola, yes. maybe they call the, it the, the gondola, and yeah. uh, and of course one of the another one of my shall we say uh, rules was that a member of the Canadian team would always be the one that thanked the organizing committee. 
I went a couple of years and nobody ever thanked anybody, which I thought was terrible. So needless to say, that became um, the, the regulation that one of us, one of the team would be chosen and they would choose the one usually themselves. Um, sometimes I would suggest, but most always they would choose themselves and um, they would thank the organizing committee. And I always felt it was appropriate because the Canadians were very royally treated in both villages, actually, but in particular Oberstdorf. And uh, I just felt that that was something we, just a little thing that the Skate Canada skaters could do. Um, we had some fun with team uniforms over the years. Um, we always met, as I said, in Toronto. And, and in the early years, they would be decked out in their official uniforms, you know, pantyhose, high heels, collars, ties, the whole bit. And as soon as the seatbelt sign was, uh, was off, it would be a mass exit to the washroom and everybody's uniform be rolled up on a ball and on went the tracksuit. Well, I watched this for several years and then finally I said to, I guess, David or whomever, enough of this. I said that pack the official uniform for the draws and the final party, if that's appropriate, but I said, for heaven's sake, let them travel in, a, in an appropriate tracksuit. So that's what we did from then to the end. I don't know what they do now, but it was always a, a, a pristine white golf shirt and a, a nice red and white and blue tracksuit or whatever the CFSA provided. But I used to think that those rumpled clothes would come out of that bin, and then they'd put them all back on again so they could arrive in the proper Canadian uniform, and I thought, what us, you know, how really archaic can we be? Anyway, um, you told I, me a I, one I, interesting story, Joyce, about um, something hidden in the luggage that uh, caused a bit of a stir. <laughs> well, I, I knew to the world, uh, this was in 1974, um, the person shall go unmentioned, had purchased an item which was definitely verboten to be carried into Canada or anywhere in your luggage. And um, the kids told me, I think, that he'd hidden it, this item. <clears throat> and uh, I, I knew it was there. I, I didn't do anything about it. But we got to customs in Canada, and that customs man knew there was something. We must have stood for 20 minutes while I stayed there, while they searched his luggage, never did they find the item. So I hope that, I don't know whether this, that young man will watch this or not, but I might tell him sometime if I see him that I remember that little item stuck in his luggage. But that was 1974. Yeah, now, the other thing that you might be interested in is that financing this trip was also a bit of a challenge because it was um, three currencies, sometimes four if, you, if I had to go to England with them, maybe en route or something. But I would be sent a check for $25,000 from the CFSA. I had a bank neighbor who lived across the street from me, and I said, okay, uh, now, George, you're going to help me get this organized. And I would go to the bank and buy the American Express checks uh, to cover the, because the people in, the, in, in Saint-Gervais and Oberstdorf were paid in the currency of the country. And also, as I said, in Oberstdorf, I had to give per diem to the skaters. So I had to fi handle, you know, this $25,000 worth of 
cash and uh, account for it, even to the penny. And I had to laugh because I think somebody, one of the, might have been Doug Gunder, said to me, well, Joyce, you really don't have to account for pennies, you know. <laughs> but anyway, that too was a bit of a challenge in the beginning. And, well, uh, Joyce, I think that um, these stories have been very interesting. I'm sure they call to mind for many listening to this podcast the the fact that um, they were on one of your trips, and I would love to hear the stories that they could come up with as a result of having their memory jogged about them. But thanks so much for uh, dredging up these memories. I can't believe how many names you've come up with just, well, I, I'll be very uh, honest with days, you. I, I mean, it's incredible because there would have been how many kids in the whole course of that period? Probably two thousand kids, perhaps. Oh, that I, you, I, uh, I, it was amazing that time. I, 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 as I said to you earlier, my pictures and things and information are all in the country, and it was kind of off of the top of my head. And I, I tried to think of things that might be fun and that, that they might remember, and 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 so on. But the, um, I did go to the. Um, uh, um, uh, CFS or Skate Canada results site, and believe it or not, of all of the international competitions, uh, exclusive of of the uh, Grand Prix, uh, Nebelhorn was the only one that listed everybody. But funnily enough, there are a couple of people who are missing, and I know of one, and one was little Jamie Saleh. She came when she was 12, and her mother called me from the West and said, now, Joyce, uh, I, I, I know that I can't come, but will you take care of my little girl? And I, and I don't find Jamie's name in the list of, of people skating at the Nebelhorn. And she definitely ah. was there. So sometime I'll, I'll try to dredge it up and see who's missing. But so many names and so many memories um, uh, that, that, you know, that started people on their way, the Garasinos. I even lucked out in my day of judging Torval and Dean when they were on their way up in one of the early, early, maybe in 1974 or maybe a bit later. So, you know, even I had some pleasure at, at uh, the people that I was able to see and judge. The, um, you know, I, I don't know whether we're running overtime or not, but the, sca- but the coaches... They and, and the judges, too, I think they all learned about the other disciplines and maybe what it is to be a coach. We only had one person who was taken sick and, and did have a hospital stay. That was Valerie Bartlett, and uh, I wouldn't let her go home. I said, Valerie, you must come with us. You can't travel alone, and much to her disgust, but we always laugh now. But um, her skater then was left without a, a coach, and I think Roy Bradshaw filled in. So it, it was a, a wonderful way of people being together. All pulling together for a common cause. Exactly. Thanks so much for sharing your memories with us. Well, Uh, it seems rather... Well, it was very a a pleasure to do it, Um, and I'm sorry I've forgotten lots, but it was thank you very much for asking me. I hope you've enjoyed that conversation between Anne and Joyce. And thank you very much, Joyce, on behalf of all of our listeners for joining us today and and taking the time to um, share some of your stories from the past and all of the adventures you've been on. 
If you're a new listener to the Skate Canada Alumni Podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the website that goes along with this. Our alumni committee has set up a blog sharing all sorts of stories and and post regularly outside of the podcast and stories that you won't hear about on the podcast. The address for that website is alumni.skatecanada.ca. You can visit that on your mobile device, on your laptop, on your desktop web browser, and you'll see the podcast episodes that you can listen to them there. And you can also read all of the blog posts, uh, news about upcoming events. If you are an alumni of Skate Canada yourself, you can register to receive invitations to functions, updates, um, email newsletters, that sort of thing. So I'd encourage you to visit that if you haven't been there before. And again, that's alumni.skatecanada.ca. One other thing I'd like to mention is that if you haven't already, you can subscribe to this podcast itself. So if you're, you're a user of iTunes or Google Play or any sort of music listening program on your mobile device or on your computer, you can actually add this show as a subscription. So you'll make sure that you get each new episode as we release it each month. So you can do that through um, any of those popular programs. Just search for Skate Canada Alumni Podcast. And we've also got shortcuts to each of those subscriptions right from the website at alumni.skatecanada.ca. So that does bring us to the end of this month's show. We hope you've enjoyed it. Happy holidays from all of us here at Skate Canada as we head into the holiday season and a very happy new year. We'll be back in January with more stories, so please make sure that you tune back in. Thanks again for joining us. Happy holidays.